Thanks, guys. That was a really special time of worship. And, um, yeah, it truly is a privilege to be with you. Um, I just love to see a church that loves Jesus and uh, people who love to worship. And what we're going to be looking at this morning, um, I understand you're looking through the book of 1 Corinthians. Well, it's an it's a interesting book, put it this way. You know, um, Paul is writing to a church that, well, <clears throat> what sort of church would it be, you know, if, if it was like Corinth today? I don't think we'd have too much um, desire to be a part of a church like Corinth. You guys have already studied the first part of it. And yet these people were very precious to God and very precious to the Apostle Paul. And he takes them up as an example for us as to how he wants us to operate and function as a church. And especially in this chapter where it talks about spiritual gifts. Now there are four different passages in scripture that refer to spiritual gifts in, in particular, specifically. This passage here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You've also got Romans 12, Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter chapter 4. And... You know, there's quite a, an extensive list of, of different gifts there. There's a bit of debate about how many gifts are actually listed. But the reality is that the message isn't so much about the gifts, and that's what we're going to be focusing on today, not so much about the gifts, that the people who have the gifts. And this is what uh, we want to really look at in this passage today. We don't want to get into debate about gifts, about what gifts people should have and um, you know, some people say some gifts aren't relevant today and others are. Well, uh, I don't think that's really the topic of what we're looking at here. But it's how God has gifted each and every Christian and how he wants us to operate effectively and unitedly with those gifts. So with that in mind, uh, could we just have a read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12? If you've got a hard copy, great. If you've got one of those little electronic gadgets, that's all right too. <laughs> When we came back to Australia from Colombia, I, want, I um, was a bit concerned, you know. We had these young people at church and they were on their mobile phones instead of listening to the message. Well, actually, they were reading the Bible on their mobile phones. I didn't know that you could do that back in those days. But um, we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to read from verse uh, 12 down to the end of the chapter. Actually, we'll begin in verse 11. It says, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. We'll see the context of that in a sec. Verse 12, but for just as the body is one and many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. A pretty obvious statement, isn't it? <clears throat> if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, it would be ugly. Where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, it would be even worse. Where would be the sense of smell? You see, God's perfect in everything he does. He knows what he's doing. And verse 18 says, But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. 
See, this isn't a man-made idea. This isn't a human uh, um, program or something that's been uh, concocted. It's something that God himself has ordained, something that God himself has put in place. God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, that means each one of us, as he chose. And that is significant. You know why you are here today? Because God wants you here. He has put you in this part of the body for a specific purpose and for a specific reason. That's incredibly important. Verse 19, if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body, and this is, it's only as I was studying this a couple of weeks ago that I actually impacted, was impacted by what this verse actually says. It says the parts of the body that seem to be weaker. It doesn't say the weaker parts, it's only those that seem to be weaker. You know why? Because every part of the body is essential, and we'll get into that a little bit later on. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honourable, we bestow a greater honour, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. Which, of it, which our more presentable parts do not require, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honour to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honoured, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles... Are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? I think the answer is pretty obvious, isn't it? We're all different. We're, no, one, no one church has got everyone that does the same thing. We're all very diverse. And at the end of that, Paul writes this, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and then going on to chapter 13, I will show you a more excellent way, which I understand you're looking at next week. There's a lot of confusion around in, I suppose, our country today about what the church is. Uh, the media probably has not helped in that the media has presented or portrayed the church in a very negative way. And unfortunately, sometimes the media has reason to do that, but many times it doesn't. And the trouble is, we also live in a country that is post-Christian or post-biblical. That means that we live in a country where most people today don't know anything about the Bible and don't know the God of the Bible. Uh, I was uh, doing a Bible study a couple of years ago, started with a guy who was an atheist, raised in this country. But uh, about three years ago, we started doing Bible studies. He didn't even know who Cain and Abel were. You know, there's a survey done recently over in the United States and another one in, in England and they were very, very similar. Uh, they had similar questions, same sorts of questions, and very similar results. Some of the results were very interesting. Um, most people didn't believe that David and Goliath, or something like 45% of the people interviewed, didn't believe that David and Goliath was a Bible story. They sort of came from somewhere else. But about the same percentage believed that Harry Potter was. <laughs> so 
that's the world we live in. That's the reality that we're having to face. So when the people around us look at church, their understanding of church is very, very different to what the Bible says. They've got no understanding. And so their best understanding of what church is like is when they look at us and when they see us because we are the church. Every single one of us, every believer in Christ is part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when people think of church, they might think of a pastor, they might think of a music team, they might think of a preacher or something like that. But they've got to see beyond that. And they think the church is, you know, where some people get up on stage and they do things and everyone else sits in a seat and they come along for an hour and a half or so, they have a good time, they have a cup of tea and they go home. And then the next week they go through it all again. That is not church. It's just something we do as a church, but that's the perception that people have. So what we've got to ask ourselves, do my friends, do my neighbours, do the people I work with have an understanding of what church should be like when they see me and the way that I interact in the church? That's a really individual question. I'm at a great advantage here because I don't know hardly anyone in the congregation. (laughs) I don't know what you like, I don't know what you do, I don't know what you don't do. So I'm not really targeting anyone, I'm just teaching the Word of God, which is fantastic. I can get away with it. But look, it's a serious question. What does our family, what do our friends think about church when they see us? Do they think, oh, you know, church is just sort of like a club that you go to once a week? Or do they see the church is really like it is? It's a living organism of which I am a part. And I play a part in that seriously because I have got something to do in that church. I think, um, you know, what we find here in the church in Corinth, Corinth was made up of a very diverse group of people. It was a, a seaport town. So it had a lot of traffic, a lot of commercial traffic going through the place. And as those sorts of towns are, it had a great diversity culturally and um, uh, people from different countries and different places. And the church was a representation of what Corinth was like. So there were all sorts of people in the, in the church, different places, different uh, cultures and nationalities, uh, different social perspectives. And it was reflected in the church because they were forever having arguments, they were backstabbing one another, they were taking one another to court, they were fighting, they were doing everything that you would expect from people from diverse cultures and diverse backgrounds. They just could not be united about anything, it seems. And this is a church that God sets up as an example to teach us how he wants a church to be. Because that's what church should be. Church should be diverse. You know, I don't think it's good that you have a church of all of one kind of people. I know over in Colombia, um, when we were there, uh, up in Bogota, we had some amazing churches up there. But they sort of did an experiment in one way. Colombia is very class conscious. You have six different stratas of class. And number six is the highest. They're the really wealthy, the doctors, the lawyers, you know, those sorts of people. So they did an experiment. They thought, we're just going to have a high class church. And you know what? It's a disaster. Because they're all the same. They did the same sorts of things. And there's no one to do the legwork. You know, these are the people used to telling people what to do, but there's no one to tell what to do. (laughs) And it just didn't work because the church should be diverse. The church should reflect all the different colours and flavours of the community that we live in. 
And that's what we find here in Corinth. And I think that's why the Lord's given us this example. And so when it's talking here about these spiritual gifts, we're not looking so much about the gifts. We're not even actually going to talk about the gifts. We're going to talk about the people and what God wants those people to be like. And there's three things that I hope that we can cover this morning looking at this. The first is this, the believers belong to one another. The second is believers are different to one another. The third is that believers need one another. And if you can just take those three points home with you from this message, I'll be really happy. Believers belong to one another. Believers are different to one another. But believers need one another. Okay, so how do we become a part of this church? Well, the, the way that it's, we become a part of this church is given to us in verse 13. I'll just read that verse again. It says, For in one spirit we were all baptised into one body. Now that brings up a fairly controversial topic, which is spirit baptism. There is a lot of confusion in churches and among Christians about what it means. Um, some say that, you know, spirit baptisms requires us to demonstrate certain gifts and this sort of stuff. But it's a fairly simple thing, really, when you look at it, because spirit baptism is only mentioned in the New Testament six times. The first time we find it's in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11. John the Baptist was speaking, and this is what he says. I baptise you with water for repentance... But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. First mention. And you know, that story of John the Baptist is repeated in Luke, Mark, Luke and John. So there's the first four mentions. We've only got two more. <laughs> the next one we find is in Acts chapter 1 and verse 5. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's reaffirming what John says. He says, For John baptised with water, but you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So there's only one reference left. Where is it? Well, we read it. And this reference in 1 Corinthians 12 explains to us what spirit baptism is. And what does it say? For in one spirit we are all baptised into one body. And that is simply what spirit baptism is. The Holy Spirit takes us and he baptises us into the body of Christ. Now, who does he do that to? To every single believer. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13, we read there that uh, we hear the message of the gospel, the gospel of salvation, and we believe that message. And then we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Every single Christian is sealed at that moment with the Holy Spirit of promise. And from that moment on, we are saved and the Holy Spirit takes us and he puts us into a body which is called the body of Christ, which is also called the church. And this is the body through which Jesus Christ works in the world today. In the four Gospels, we have an account of Jesus living and breathing and working in his human form. And principally, that story covers about three years of his life. When we get to the book of Acts, the Lord Jesus Christ ascends to heaven. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes. And all of a sudden, the Lord Jesus Christ starts to work through another body. Yeah. He's still working. And he's still working through a body. And it's called the body of Christ. But what is that body? It's you and me. It's us. 
And this is how Jesus is working today. He's not working through a pastor or a preacher or a music team. He is working through the body, Amen. Lord Jesus Christ. Just a couple of verses. Uh, over in Romans chapter 6, it talks there about uh, us being united to Christ in his death and his burial and his resurrection. So when Jesus died on the cross, I died with him, you died with him. When he was buried, we were buried with him. And when he rose again, we rose with him to walk in newness of life. And so we're all completely and incredibly associated with Jesus Christ in every single way. I just wanted to read a couple of verses now in Romans 8. Romans 8 verses 9 down to 11. Romans 8 verse 9 says this. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not, the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Okay, so if you're not a Christian, you haven't got the Spirit. If you are a Christian, you have. Simple. Not complicated. Verse 10, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, well, that's going to get fixed up in verse 11. Although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, does he dwell in you? Yes, he does, because we're saved. We trusted the Lord Jesus, so he comes to dwell within us. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So that means that we have got the same life as who? As Christ. It's not me being a Christian and now trying somehow in my own strength to try and please Jesus and do something for Jesus because he lives within me. And, you know, this, when I learnt this, as I said earlier on in Colombia, we learnt so many things about God and about ourselves. And this is one of the great things that, that we learnt, that it's not about me trying to do something for him because I can't. Because my body, my, my life without Christ is dead and the very best I can do is just rubbish as far as he's concerned anyway. And the only way that I can ever in any way be uh, useful in God's service is when he does his work through me. And this is what we do. This is what spiritual gifting is all about. It's not about me trying to do something for God. It's about allowing Christ to do his work through me. Get back to what we said before. When Jesus lived on earth, he lived then for three years. He had a public ministry working through his physical body. Now, for the last 2,000 years, he's been working through another body, and that body is church. us, the church. And so it's not me trying to do work for Christ. It's me allowing Christ to do what he wants to do, work through me. Um, and then uh, over on in Romans chapter 8, we have that wonderful passage where it says, nothing can separate me from Christ. Nothing can take me out of the body. Nothing can make me separate from Christ and who he is and what he wants to do. Now that is for me absolutely incredible because it means that regardless of what I am like in the eyes of the world, Regardless of what I am like in my abilities or my lack of abilities, Christ can and wants to work through me. 
Does that excite you? That Jesus wants to work through you. It's an amazing thing. You see, all of our gifting, our our spiritual gifts, they're all different. And and they're they're all uh, given for a certain reason. God gives them to us, as, as we read back there in verse 11. But if we can just grab a hold of this, that Christ in me wants to work through me, he's given me himself, none of us can say, I have nothing to offer in service for Christ. None of us. None of us can say, as far as the church here at Raymond Terrace goes, I've really got nothing much to do. I have really no input. Because that's denying the truth of what we've just been reading. And we can't do that. Christ has given you himself. He indwells you. Now he wants to work through you. In some capacity, in some way that I've got no idea about. You mightn't even have any idea about it. But he does. He knows how he wants to use you. God has gifted you wonderfully with his spirit. We can't neglect that. We can't treat it as if it's nothing. We can't treat it as if it's not important. And we can't despise what God's given us. Christ has given us himself. Now he wants to work through us. I want to tell you a little story. When we were over in the jungle, one of the, in Colombia, we spent 12 months in language study and then eight years in the jungle. Then it got too dangerous there and so the Lord took us to the most dangerous city on the planet, Medellin, which is (laughs) another story. But... um, when we were out in the jungle, um, we went into this little village, one of the places where we started a church. It's called San Pablo. And uh, we started our work there through Sunday school. There's only 300 people, about 50 or 60 kids. And we had every single kid in town come to Sunday school. Because where else were we going to get a free lolly? <laughs> Over there, nothing. But they were poor. Like, out in the jungle was very, very poor. And the first day we had Sunday school, and we had all these kids turn up. And these group of boys, 10 to 12 years old, they all rocked up. Completely starkest, not a stitch on them. That's how they worked. You know, the little girls used to run around in undies. The little boys used to run around with nothing on. That's just how poor they were. So they wanted to come to Sunday school. Well, Shelley sent them home to get some pants on first and then let them come along. But in that Sunday school, some of those kids got saved. Some wonderful stories. One of those was a little girl called Marcella. Marcella was uh, 12 years old when she came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, her mum and dad were not Christians. And um, her dad in particular, he was a pretty wild character. But through circumstances, God started to work in their lives. Problem, neither mum nor dad could read. But Marcella could. Now here's this little girl. She loved the Lord Jesus Christ. And she used to sit down every night and read the Bible to her mum and dad. Who then got saved. As did several of her siblings. What could Marcella do? She could read. That was it. That was her gift. She is 12 years old. She loved the Lord Jesus Christ and she could read and God used that. Now, who here can't do that? You see, we can never say, we can never say, I'm not good enough for God to use me. I have got, not got enough ability for God to use me. All we need to do is learn to love the Lord Jesus Christ with all our heart and soul and mind. And look, that's something that we never really attain to, I don't think. But it's got to be our desire. 
Lord, I love you. I want to serve you. I want to, I want to be effective for you, Lord. What do you want me to do? Just use me however you want me to, however you want to use me, Lord. Just, just do it. Just be careful. You might end up in Colombia. <laughs> but if you say that and you are really serious with the Lord, God will use you. Because that's what he wants to do. Because he is within you and all he is longing is for you to allow him to use you to reach out to others. And that can be done in so, so many different ways. So, you know, that sort of is a sad thing. But there are Christians that have got an inferiority complex because they can't do what the people up on the platform do. Well, don't be like that. Just understand it's not about public ministry. It's about being what God wants you to be yeah. with what he's given you to do. And that is so, so important. One of the great things that the Lord Jesus Christ it says about the Lord Jesus Christ is this. He says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life a ransom for many. And that's the example of the Lord Jesus. He doesn't say, I came to preach, although he did. He didn't say, I came to heal people and do all these marvellous miracles, although he did. He said, I came to serve. All of us can do that. And so, if you're not sure what your gifting is, don't worry about it. Just focus on Jesus. Love the Lord Jesus Christ. And just say, Lord, here I am. Work through me. You don't, you're not inferior. You're a part of the body. You're a part of the body, just as much as a preacher is, just as much as the musicians are, just as much as anyone else in public, the public sphere is. You are a part of the body of Christ and you are absolutely essential. Sadly, there are others in the body who've got a superiority complex. And it talks about that here. You know, there are those that think that they don't need other people. And there are those that think that their way is the only way and, and that their way is the best way. And if you don't do it their way, well, sorry, you're just out. You're not invited in. And that doesn't work either. No. Actually, it's terribly damaging. And unfortunately, that's what sometimes the world sees. You know, churches where the general people who, who come along and sit in the pews aren't welcome to get in because they're not talented enough. Well, no, sorry, that's not how God operates. And if anyone has that sort of an attitude, I would really try and change it very, very quickly because all it's going to do is cause division. All it's going to do is cause heartache and problems and you're not going to see God bless. You're not going to see God at work. You know, uh, the disciples sort of had this problem, didn't they? They were forever arguing about who was the greatest. And what did Jesus say to them? Whoever is the least among you is the greatest. And what did he use? He used a little child as an example. Just like Marcella, <laughs> little kid. These are the great ones. The great ones are the ones that just trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and love him and care for him and serve him faithfully with what he's given them. And then it comes to this passage that I referred to earlier on where it talks about the parts of the body that seem to be weaker. And I think it's amazing that it says here the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are actually indispensable. Now, um, when it comes to parts who are weaker, well, I sort of looked around for some good illustrations and uh, I found this one in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honour to the woman as the weaker vessel. <laughs> I hope I'm not in trouble. 
That's what the Bible says. It's true. Physically, generally, men are weak, are stronger than women. You don't often see a woman carrying a man over the threshold on the honeymoon. <laughs> it's generally the other way around. Women are more emotional. There's all those sorts of things. But it says that the men, the husbands, should live with their men, their women, in an understanding way, giving them greater honour. One of the illustrations that's been used uh, in the past is that, that a wife is something like fine china, beautiful, delicate, and something to be really looked after and cared for. Some women don't like that illustration because it basically means that they're ornamental, <laughs> not much good for anything else. I think something more like a silicon chip. You know, a silicon chip is pretty delicate. If you drop it on the ground and stand on it, that's it. It's gone. But you take a silicon chip out of a mobile phone, what's a mobile phone good for? Yeah. Computer, motor car, just about everything run by computers. You take the silicon chip out <laughs> and it's useless. And that's what I think Paul's talking about here. There are so, some that, as far as the world is concerned, they seem to be weaker. You know what God says? They are indispensable. So if you are one of those people that feel weak, that feel that you're not much good for anything because of your weakness, that could be a weakness in any form or um, any, any kind of imagination you might have. Just realise that what God says is that you are indispensable. You can't say I'm not needed because you are. And, you know, for those in the church that are stronger, you know, we should look to those who are a bit weaker and nurture them and care for them. I think often of older Christians. I remember one dear old missionary. He'd been working in South America in a certain country over there, seen God bless in so many ways, planted so many churches. And he was very old and feeble and he, his wife, came back to Australia. And um, they were going to a church up in Queensland. And I was talking to him one day, you know, in all of his um, brokenness as an old man. And he said these sad words to me. He said, Alan, they don't want me over here. I was so brokenhearted for him. He said with tears in his eyes. If they'd given him a, a group of young men to teach, oh, my goodness, what wouldn't he have had to offer? But pray, he and his wife were forever praying. They go to the shopping centre and just give out tracts. But because he was old and because he was frail, or they were old and because they were frail, they were sort of put on the shelf. My Bible tells me they might seem to be weak, but as far as God's concerned, they are indispensable. Now, I don't know the makeup of your church in reality. You do. But there's no one here that you can take out of God's body whereby the body is not going to suffer. Every single member of this church is indispensable. They are so important. That's why it says back in verse 11 where we read, where God gave everyone a certain gift. All of these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he will. So God has made us like we are. He's given us what we, what we have. And then... The Holy Spirit, in, or God, it says in verse 18, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. So that's why you're here and that's why you can do what you can do. It's because of God. 
Then the Bible goes on here in verse 23 and talks about the less honourable parts. I'm not real sure what he's talking about there, where he talks about the less honourable parts. Maybe um, because he says they're bestowed with greater honour. And I thought, well, maybe ears, you know, people put earrings in ears and they put things in their nose and in their belly button, those sorts of things. They decorate them, which is what seems to be happening here. You know, they're not probably as flashy as some of the other parts of the body, but they are given special honour. Now, I don't really know exactly how that applies in, in so many ways, but again, it's showing us that everyone is important, regardless of how they appear to be. And then it goes on and talks about presentable parts and unpresentable parts and probably talking there about the reproductive organs and we cover them up and we don't display them to the public or we shouldn't display them to the public yet. They're absolutely essential because without them we can't reproduce. And they're so vitally important as well. I'm glad I got past that bit. <laughs> and then... Uh, from verse 24 down to verse 29, it talks about the presentable parts not needing any extra attention. And yet so often, that's what we do, isn't it? You know, we take the ones who are gifted in the public speaking area or the public singing or whatever, and they're the ones that the focus is on and they're the ones that get the attention and they're the ones that get the praise and they're the ones that get the focus. And the Bible is saying here they don't really need it. Because when our focus is on those who are in the public sphere of service, what happens to all of the others? They're often pushed into the background. And that's the opposite to what the Bible here says. Those that are uh, the more presentable ones, they don't need the attention. So we've got to be really careful that we've got balance when we come to who we focus on in a church and I suppose this applies largely to ministry leadership but we've got to make sure that everyone in the church gets the attention that they need and that they deserve and that no one falls through the cracks because that's the sad reality of church in Australia it's probably church in many parts of the world there are so many Christians and they fall through the cracks because the attention is focused elsewhere. God doesn't want that. He wants everyone to understand that they are really important. And when we're working together, we need to realise the importance of those who don't have a public ministry. Uh, when the Lord moved us to Methagin, uh, we saw some incredible blessing there as well. And um, several churches started and, and growing and in the church in Methagin itself was growing tremendously and there was one couple that came to know the Lord Jesus there, um, Carlos and his wife Estella. Now, Carlos was a builder. He loved the Lord. He had great personality. He's never going to be a Bible teacher or anything like that. But, you know, he read his Bible. He was going through his Bible all the time. Estella, his wife, was beautiful. She was one of those really finely dressed South American women. She was a drug dealer. <laughs> That's how she could afford the fancy clothes. But um, they came to Christ and Carlos started working on the building we were doing there. And as we were building, he employed a couple of guys from a couple of houses up the street from where the building was. Now, what had happened was uh, Colombia, as you know, was traditionally been a fairly violent sort of place. There are a lot of guerrillas, not the hairy 
type saw them with the AK-47s. Anyway, some of these guerrillas were trying to leave the guerrilla movement. So the government would take them and they'd hide them in the cities and they'd put them in housing and re, uh, reinstate them into society, teach them things, give them uh, lessons from school and um, try and get them employed. And so Carlos found out about this, so he went up and he said, hey, any of you guys interested in building, got three of these fellas to come down and help with the building. And um, two of them got saved. And as the church grew and grew and grew, Carlos and uh, his two guerrilla mates, they used to do all the maintenance on the place, keep the place clean, sweep the floors, mop it out. And every Sunday we would come, all the seats were in place, everything was impeccable. And nobody saw it. And nobody much knew about it. But man, without Carlos and his two mates, we would have found it very, very difficult to do church. They were indispensable. And Estella, well, she's a great cook, so she had a team of ladies, and they looked after the kitchen. And as everyone knows, every good church runs on food. <laughs> oh, in the teaching of the Word of God. <laughs> but um, we did a lot of activity where we had a lot of food involved. And we had 14 different ministries operating in that church in Medellin. And without Carlos and his maintenance crew, and without Estella and her, would not have functioned in the way it did. Now, they were in the background, but my goodness, they were absolutely essential to everything that was happening in that church. And I think this is another illustration of just how important everybody is. You know, it's just not about the people up the front. It's about everyone serving God. Remember, Christ is in you. And if Christ has gifted you to serve in some hidden and obscure way in the church, that's what he wants you to do. Because after all, it's his praise that we're looking for. Amen. It's not the praise of men, but the praise of God. And so the Lord's given us this wonderful image. You know, it's not man-made methods that we're reading about here. It's God's ordained will and purpose for the church. And if we can all work together with whatever it is that he's gifted us with, we are going to see God work in incredible ways because God works through the body now I'm getting old my body is breaking down um, I've got nerve damage in my right foot haven't been able to feel my left leg for two years and that's just the bottom half <laughs> I won't go into details about the top half but you know what my body's compensating I can sort of walk in a straight line more or less I've learnt how to balance, as the other parts of my body, probably the brain more than any, but different parts of my body are compensating for the weaknesses that I have yeah. as I get older. And you know, that's how we function as a church. Because sometimes Christians do go through struggles. And what the Bible says here, when one member suffers, we all suffer together. Uh, when we are in Colombia, one of the tragedies that we had was when we were in the jungle. Shelley, my wife, uh, got tuberculosis. A uh, pretty severe case of it, actually. And uh, one of the things in TB treatment for three months, you've got to have a needle six days a week. And it's a pretty savage needle. I actually put her in hospital twice, um, just with the injections. But um, not a lot of people to give needles to. You can't just go to a clinic or something like we, we have here, or at least we couldn't in the jungle anyway. 
And so sometimes I'd give Shelley the needle. And she used to love it when I gave her the needle because she never felt a thing. But I couldn't walk for two hours afterwards. <laughs> you know, you feel the pain of others. That's called referred pain. And young people, when you get married, it's real. Um, but we should have referred pain in the church too, shouldn't we? You know, if someone's going through a hard time, we shouldn't just dismiss it. Yeah. We've got to become a part of it because that person is a member of the body of Christ of which we too are members. You know, when one, when mom, when one member is going through a tough time, we need to be there. We need to be supportive and we need to feel it as well. And the great thing about it is when one member rejoices, we all get to rejoice together. And, you know, this is one of the great things about the body of Christ, isn't it? If someone sees someone come to know Christ and there's a new believer, well, the Bible tells us there's great rejoicing in heaven. And you know what should happen? The whole church should be rejoicing as well. You know, sadly, what happens is sometimes when that happens, some Christians get envious and jealous because someone else led someone to Christ. No way. That's not how it is. You know, if God is blessing and God is encouraging, we're all excited about it. Because God is working with us together. When we went to the church in Ballarat, it was a very conservative little church. Some lovely people, but it was growing. And there were people, quite diverse group of people in the church. And you know what was wonderful there? Is everyone in the church got on really well, despite being quite different. And we all were able to rejoice together because God was working. And it didn't matter about the minor differences. There's a couple of old guys there I used to do Bible studies with and, we, uh, and uh, I'd pray with. And we had some quite diverse opinions on some points of scripture. And we'd talk about them, but we never let them become a problem. You know why? Because God was working and we were excited. And we thought, okay, God's working. We'll just agree to disagree on these things and we'll just keep working together and rejoicing in the Lord. That's how the God... The, the gospel should go out from a church that's united, that has Christ as its centre and is working in the way that God's given us. And so he's given us all these different spiritual gifts that are mentioned here at the end of the chapter. As I said, we're not going to be looking at them. But these gifts are going to differ from person to person. But what they're there for is so that we can all together work for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can work so that people can come to know him and that his name can truly be honoured and glorified and magnified among us. So what, was those, what were those three points we mentioned at the beginning? Believers belong to one another. Secondly, believers are different to one another. And hopefully as we've gone through this passage, you've seen the reality of the third point. Believers need one another.